0: What are we going to share? I want to share with you three pictures that will stick with me for the rest of my life from the journey we've been through in 2 Corinthians. Three pictures that will stick with me for the rest of my life from my journey in 2 Corinthians. I, I know sometimes um, I, it can feel long working through a book in the Bible. Hey? Uh, and sometimes you come to passages where you get to and you think, oh, that's not the most exciting passage, right? Hey? Oh, maybe I would have skipped that one or whatever. But there's something that happens to us i think as people when we when we slow down and we work through these books of the script of of the bible in the way god wrote them uh, that, that's not like um it's not it's different than just dipping into topic after topic after subject after subject it, it just stews in you is that the right word you you marinate in these words and and i've found that uh, happened at the end of James, happened at the end of Mark. There's certain things that have stuck with me as a believer. And so I'm trusting that um, something of this is happening in you as well, as I share with you three pictures that will stick with me. What are we doing next year? You want to know what we're preaching about next year? Anyone? So next year we're going to go, we were Gospels in Mark, we were James in the New Testament, we were two Corinthians in the New Testament. We're going to go back to the Old Testament next year for a significant chunk of the years. we work through the books, book that is one and two kings as, a, as we preach through kings. And, and what you're going to see in kings is how do we go from the, the heights of David in this kingdom, the amazing heights of, of Solomon to the depths of by the rivers of Babylon, where, there where we wept, where we remembered Zion. How, how do we go from there to here? And, and, and we see king after king after story of, of God's faithfulness and people's faithlessness in him. And, and God's patience and, and great adventures and exploits of Elijah and Elisha, these prophets. And uh, and we see these beautiful narratives come alive to us. As well as working through a beautiful book written by Dane Ortland called Gentle and Lowly. It's the only verse in, in, the, in the Gospels where Jesus tells us what he himself is like. I am gentle and lowly in heart. We're gonna look not just at what Jesus did, but we're gonna look at who Jesus is, his very, very self, his heart, his nature. And you're gonna see in him something, I think, so profound that's gonna shape us as well. So next year, really excited uh, to go on a bit of a journey. Um, As I said, this is my final um, message of the year. And um, if you wanna make your way in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter two, um, next week will be James's final message as well, and so um, don't miss that one. Really exciting as well. Um, and uh, are you ready? Let's buckle up. Okay, I've got three pictures from three different spots in two Corinthians that I'm trusting are going to stick uh, stick with us and shape us as people. The first one is this: Conquered messengers. We are conquered messengers. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14 to 17 Are you ready? But thanks be to God. But thanks be to God. What is Paul so thankful for? Who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him Everywhere. So here's this thing Paul is so grateful, but thanks be to God. Why? Because he is always led by Christ in triumphal procession. And while he's being led by Christ, Christ through Paul and through these apostles uh, spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him. You see the messenger's element. For we are the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To another, the fragrance from life to life. As Paul is being led in triumphal procession by Christ, he's preaching the gospel, he and the disciples, and uh, sorry, the apostles. As they preach the gospel, some from death to death. No, 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 we're not interested in that at all. You just keep your religious nonsense yourself no no to others from life to life oh tell us more about christ and his power to save and change so 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 co- brings about these two different responses to one a fragrance from death to death to another a fragrance from life to life who is sufficient for these things what gospel minister could ever consider himself sufficient to be doing this ah oh, for we are not Like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak Christ. Let's have a look at this picture. I want to zoom in on the actual picture and trusting that it's going to stick with us in our minds. Paul is so grateful. He is so grateful to God for something. What's he so grateful for? That he is led in a triumphal procession and that while he's being led, Christ is spreading the gospel through him. Triumphal procession, if you remember back to the Sunday we unpacked it, is a Roman victory parade where prisoners of war are being led by a victorious Roman general, and so Christ is this victorious general having defeated sin and death as we sang, and Paul is a prisoner of war. He was an enemy, Christ conquered him, now he's been taken captive as a prisoner of war, and now he is being led in a triumphal procession. The culmination of a triumphal procession was being put to death as a prisoner. Christ, though, is saying, while I am being led in triumphal procession, led towards uh, death, I I didn't know, but I was being led towards dying to myself. But in fact, I discovered I'm being led as I die to myself to my new life in Christ. He was once an enemy of God. He was a persecutor of Christians and Jesus conquered him. In this twist, where prisoners of war should be led to death, he is being led to die to himself and discovering as he does so, he, he is being led into new life in Christ. Take a look at this picture. I'm trusting that this picture would stick and help cement it. This is from the, the Bible Project. And it's this picture that they describe of what's going on here. It's one that grabbed me as I prepared for the series. Here is Paul and the other apostles, um, and, and, and they are pointing to Christ. They're slaves. They're bound. We'll talk about that in a second. But they are being led as they point to Jesus. But thanks be to God. I was an enemy of God, but now I've been saved. I've been changed. I'm learning to die to myself as I pour out my life in love and service to others, proclaiming the gospel. Isn't God so amazing as they dance and they make their way, making much of Christ? When last did you read the story of how Paul came to faith? Acts chapter 9. I'd love to read it to us. But Saul, this is before he became Paul, same guy, just changed names. But Saul, still breathing murderous threats or threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, any Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Paul was trying to capture and bind and bring in, just like that, slaves and chains, the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. He was blind. So, so they led him by the hand, and they brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight. He neither ate nor he drank. He couldn't eat. He couldn't see. He couldn't, he, he, his whole life was busy being turned right side up. He was conquered by Christ. Now, there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered. You want to get a window into who Saul was? But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. Paul, in that moment, went from an enemy of the gospel to a chosen instrument, purely by the grace of God. He was on his way to persecute and torture Christians. And Jesus got a hold of his life in the most profound powerful transformative way he did nothing to earn it he did nothing to deserve it he was an enemy of God as Mike read while we were still sinners Paul's words Christ saved us it's this extraordinary picture of the gracious power of Jesus to save and change sinners Jesus in that moment conquered Jesus defeated Paul and Paul's posture in the wake of this is one of surrender and one of worship and one of servanthood toward Jesus. Elsewhere, Paul says, for I am constrained by the love of Christ. You see those chains? I know everything in us gets allergic and we go, oh, slavery, prisoner of war, that's so bad. But Paul is saying, but thanks be to God. He's so grateful because he's constrained. If you, if you want to know what the, 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 the chains are, it's the love of Christ. Paul says, um, for, for I am um, constrained by the love of Christ. Another translation says, compelled by the love of Christ. There's nothing I can do because he has so loved me, I have to respond like this. I mean, Ash spoke so beautifully in worship of the power of love to transform. This is exactly what happened to to Saul becoming Paul. He encountered a love of Christ while he was an enemy. he He encountered a love so powerful, so transforming that he could not stay the same. He was changed and now his life is almost bound to a new trajectory because he has been so loved. It's an extraordinary picture. You'd think, oh, slaves, prisoners of war. Oh. And here he is. Ah, oh, the most amazing thing that could ever have happened happened to me. He interrupted my life and he saved me. While we were still sinners, Christ loves us. And now he's dying to himself. His old nature, the old ways of Saul are being driven out of him, transformed as Ash And the new, the image of Christ is being polished and revealed. New things put in, old things shaken off, uh, things that were dormant being activated and growing and developing. All the whilst the nature of Paul and his character and his behavior is changing as he pours out his love in loving others. Have you ever seen a movie when someone's life is saved by someone else? You know, maybe one of those like karate movies or those kind of in you honor know, shame Chinese culture, maybe that, that culture where, where someone says, you saved my life and then he follows you around everywhere, right? Why? Because because you saved my life. I owe you my life. I, I was dead and then you saved me. Now I'm gonna kind of, have you seen one of those movies? I'll follow you around. I, you loved me. You risked so much to save me. Now I, I feel I. Like Out of love, I respond to you. This is what Paul is saying. He's using the image of slavery, but it's a slavery rooted in being so loved and so transformed that I cannot help but do anything else. Uh, Everything else is just less to me. And so he takes these steps toward dying to himself. This is how Paul understood what it meant to be a Christian. What does this new life look like to Paul? It looks like spreading the message, conquered messengers. It looks like proclaiming Christ, the fragrance of life. Paul, in a sense, as a conquered prisoner of war, I think it's best embodied. I couldn't help in my preparation being reminded of the Heidelberg Catechism. The the first article of the Heidelberg Catechism, it's so beautiful, says this, what is our only comfort in life and in death? The Heidelberg Catechism was formed to help Christians to understand the doctrine. The the clergy at that stage understood much of the doctrine and there was the reformation that happened, but this this happened at a kind of high level, clergy level. And so these catechisms were formed so as to be able to teach ordinary followers like you and I the truth of of the gospel and of, of the faith. And so this is article number one of the Heidelberg Catechism. What is your only comfort in life and death? A series of questions and answers that I am not my own. You can imagine Paul marching with the believers, that I am not my own, but I belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful savior, Jesus Christ. He has paid for all my sins, fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. He has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. I was an enemy of God. Saul, persecutor of Christians, set free from the tyranny of the devil. He he watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head. The love of Christ without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him, constrained by his love. It's an extraordinary picture. Putting this all together, picture number one. Paul is conquered Dying to his old self, learning to live for Christ in new ways, he has become a sent messenger. Make sense? What's the application to our lives? Well, let me ask you a question. What king are you living for? Who is your life's message pointing to? Under whose authority is your life? To what have you bound yourself to? And is it leading you to freedom and life in meaning? Whose authority are you doing business by? Whose authority are you doing marriage by, relationships by? What does it look like to become a messenger of Christ? Think through these questions. Which king are you living for? Whose message are you proclaiming? What have you bound yourself to? This language of bound yourself, prisoner of war, slavery, it's so hard for us. For good reason. I mean, we've seen the dark side of this in our culture and cultures before us. I get that. But we mustn't be naive to miss the amazing side of this as well. Because we're... David Foster Wallace, an atheist, um, he sadly, he took his own life. He was an extraordinary thinker, remained an atheist for all of his days. This is what he said once at a, um, at his gradu- at a, at a graduation address to a bunch of students in a famous speech that he gave, I think it was called uh, Water or something like that. He says this. He says, here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. Now, hang on, he's an atheist. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much everything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure. You will always feel ugly. And when, when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you everybody worships. It's not something that you decide to do or not. A human being is created. I mean, p- uh, uh, the, the fancy language you've heard before, there's a God-shaped hole in all of us, but all of us long to find meaning. As creatures, this picture of the camel man who does everything on his own, it, it, it's, just not, it's fiction. It's fiction. You, you, you just lose meaning on your own independent mission in life. We are created to belong, to be a part of something greater than yourself. And Paul said, Jesus graciously arrested my life, conquered me, and gave me meaning and purpose and belonging and restored me to my relationship with God. Now I'm a conquered messenger. The greatest thing is having the right king. The greatest thing, true freedom comes not by the absence of constraints, but it comes from the right constraints. That's where lasting meaning and freedom come from. Paul says, conquered messenger. Who's your king? Who have you surrendered to? Whose message is your life revolving around? This was the longest of the three points, by the way. Let's go. I'm going to make that tree as I amend my notes while I'm preaching. Uh, Let's go. Number two, picture number two, broken vessels carrying the greatest treasure. Broken vessels, inferior vessels, could have used. Fragile vessels, inexpensive vessels carrying the greatest treasure. Um, Let's go, verse seven. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken or not struck down. So struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life too. You see these two contrasts, these two juxtapositions that Paul is trying to present to us today in order that we would see what he's trying to say. It's these series of truths that drive home and drive apart to us two ideas. Let me just grab some water. I woke up yesterday morning and um, investigated a leak in my shower, and I found it. And then, you know, when you take one thing out, I just pulled the silicon out, right? And then I took the next thing out, and then I discovered the next thing. And pretty soon, I didn't have a shower. I just had a hole right through to my, uh, my room. And, uh, and that was all the, that's all the dust, I think, that's in my throat now. Um, but I love those sorts of things. Two contrasting passages. In this passage, two contrasting ideas Paul is trying to put before us. The one idea is this. The treasure that we carry is more incredible than we realize. The second one, our humanity is more frail than we understand. The treasure that you and I carry as Christ followers is more incredible than you ever could imagine. And yet your human body that carries that thing is more frail or broken. And as you're getting older and older, a friend I was chatting to on Friday night while we were walking on Fisher Beach said to me, Luke, uh, two years ago I had a heart attack while I was surfing. Uh, but 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 I'm discovering as I get older, he says, more and more how frail and how weak my body is. But the wonder of carrying the, the gospel this beautiful gospel the first picture the first picture that paul gives us in this passage is the key one i want to focus on treasure in jars of clay paul is speaking about his own physical body like a jar of clay what is a jar of clay we don't have jars of clay much in our house i don't think maybe if you're moroccan you've got a tajine, but that's not what he's talking about here either a jar of clay was just a vessel for transporting you carried something inside it was fragile it was inferior it was expendable What sort of things does it remind me of in our day and age today? The wrapping of your Christmas gifts, right? The box that carries the treasure inside. The take-a-lot delivery arrives at your house, and there's the box. What do you do? You rip apart the packaging, the jar of clay, so as to get to the treasure inside, right? I remember when I was 17, I landed my first proper job. Uh, It was school holidays, six weeks. I um, I was in grade 11. And I made it as a full-time municipal lifeguard, right? And so there I was earning an adult salary as a high school 17-year-old kid. It was just its the second richest I've ever felt in my whole life. The richest I ever felt was when we got married and we were were dinks, double income, no kids. Oh, my word. (laughs) Hey, some of you know what I'm talking about. Just, it doesn't last. Um, Anyway, that that was the second richest I've ever felt in my whole life. And um, but, but they pay you monthly, right? And they pay you from the municipal office at the bottom of downtown East London in a very kind of shady area. So I remember being 17 years old and all I could find was my cricket bat. And I went on my own with my cricket bat into the municipal offices where I was pr- handed a very ordinary brown envelope with more money than I'd ever held in my life and now I've got to walk out. So I I walked out with my cricket bat and my envelope in my undies, so nobody would even know that I was carrying anything, right? Paul is saying, I'm like the envelope. My body is like the envelope, but inside is something so precious. He's highlighting the weakness and the frailty of our human bodies. He's not saying our bodies don't matter. I'll, I'll get to that in a second he's talking about how they're prone to break. They they, they lack outward beauty. They're not particularly desirable. We struggle with sleep sometimes. We struggle with illness sometimes. Our memories let us down. He's talking about the frailty and the jars of clayness of our human bodies, but yet the treasure we carry inside. Peter said this, 1 Peter 1 verse 10 to 12, of the treasure inside concerning the salvation. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Here's their moment in history, first century Christians discovering the gospel. Here's us. And he says, the prophets for all of the Old Testament before looked. In anticipation, One day the Messiah will come. One day he will come. He will die for our sins. He will lead us into to new relationship with God. All of the Old Testament looked forward in a prophetic in anticipation. For this moment, they searched and inquired carefully. What does it mean? It's mysterious. Something's happening. I'm not too sure, but it looks like the most amazing thing we could ever experience. Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating uh, when he predicted the Sabbath. Sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories. They were trying to work out what it was. It was revealed to them. It was revealed to them that they were serving uh, not themselves but you. You now are inheriting and living in the wonder of what they dreamt of. It was revealed to them, that are serving not themselves but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things to which angels long to look into You and I find ourselves in a moment of history where everything before was in anticipation of the glorious outpouring of the love of God in the person of Christ, what we speak of as the gospel. And even all the angels and the angelic realm longs to look into and to see the wonder of the gospel, the person and works of Jesus, the love of God. We carry that in these broken, fickle, frail bodies you carry in you, do you know that? The hope of the world, the power to save and to change and redeem the whole world, let alone the South Peninsula of Cape Town, let alone your very neighborhood. And what Paul is saying is he's saying my body is so broken, so fickle, struggling remember remember the thorn in the flesh that he pointed to as well but god sustains me although i am weak i'm under immense pressure god is the glue that holds me together i remember many years ago hearing the story about a traffic officer who pulled over a vehicle because it looked very very dodgy not dodgy as in bad things are happening in this vehicle but dodgy as in that thing should not be safe on the road it's not roadworthy you know and so they struggled with what to do and so they um they, couldn't, they didn't feel right to impound the vehicle. So all they began to do was just take off the tape and the wire that was holding it together. And pretty soon it was just a heap of bits and the car couldn't continue. Paul's saying a little bit like that. Saying, my body is being, I'm, I'm held together. I'm broken. I'm failed. I'm held together by bits of the grace of God sustaining me, holding me through my whatever was. I'm just a vessel, but Jesus sustains me. Through the cracks, he holds me together. At time I'm perplexed. What does perplex mean? I'm facing problems that I'm impotent to solve. They're overwhelming and I don't know how to, I don't know what to do. I don't know the answer to the problems I'm facing. But Christ sustains me. I'm persecuted, I'm struck down. The, the Greek word here, like being knocked down to the ground by a weapon. But I'm, but I'm never given to despair. I'm never forsaken. I'm never destroyed. Paul is describing himself a bit like this. The power of God holding me together in the midst of my brokenness because I carry the most wonderful treasure inside me, the gospel. What's the, what does it mean for our lives? Well, I think among other things, you and I live in a world that wants us to glorify the vessel, the body as an end in itself. We worship our bodies. We sacrifice time and money to sculpt and perfect and preserve and make up and dress up and carve up and whatever we do to our physical bodies to make them as worship as ends in themselves. Now, I'm not saying any of these things are wrong in and of themselves. It's more a heart and a value. Do we value Christ and our service to him and the calling of our life more than we do our physical bodies? I, th- I think in our culture, we, 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 we morph our bodies more and more to, to the shape of an image we've created within ourselves than even seeing our bodies as given us as means of serving and glorifying God. And Christianity gives us this almost contrasting but beautiful tension when it comes to understanding our bodies, that your body is both incredibly valuable. It's not just immaterial. It's not just meat that doesn't matter. It's not just nothing that you throw away. That's the failure of the metaphor I was using around the packaging because that's not exactly what Paul is saying. If you know sometimes when you develop a metaphor too far, it it no longer loses, uh, loses what you want it to say. But within Christianity, we have the sense of your body matters immensely to God. It's part of who you are. But your body is not to be worshipped. It's for worshipping Christ. You, You are not a spirit trapped in a flesh prison. Your body is part of who you are. The scriptures teach us. But. And I'd love to give us two big butts. You know I like big butts. Two big butts. That's a song. If if you um, I like big two big butts, right. Your body is part of who you are. It's part of what makes you you. It's not like in our culture where we believe your body is nothing. You just chop and change and do what you want as you please. It's irrelevant. It's just just packaging, throw it away. You're, you're just a spirit trapped in this fleshly being. That's not Christianity. However, number one, your body was created to worship and to serve Christ and others and to radiate and display the glory of God. So yes, it's a jar of clay. Yes, it's broken. Yes, it's fragile, fragile, but it was created to worship God and to that end, Christ sustains you in your weakness and in your brokenness. And the second thing I wanna say is created to worship and serve. Your body is still imperfect and it is broken. And until you get to heaven, we will have parts of our bodies that will let us down. We will battle, some of us, in age, in sickness. There will be parts of our bodies that we will wish were stronger, faster, smaller, bigger, thinner, less droopy. uh, I'm talking about my stomach. Um, I'll stop. But you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. It, It happens to all of us. This is true. This is what Paul is saying. This is, this is the reality. However, however, as imperfect as our bodies are, they carry the beauty and the wonder and the splendor of the most glorious treasure the world will ever see. Do you know that? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I think that's a full way of saying, hey, Luke, you're getting yourself in trouble. Slow down now. <laughs> Broken vessels carrying the greatest treasure. Third and final picture as we land. Eternal beings in a temporary world. I stole the, t- the, the point from our Seren series. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Look at these two simultaneous things that are happening. There is an outer self. It is wasting away day by day. Yet um, our inner self simultaneously is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction, hardship, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. There is a transformation. This outer self is wasting away. This inner self is being renewed day by day. The, The temporary present is being, uh, it, it, the sun is setting whilst the sun is rising on the glorious eternal future. This verse got me through some of the toughest moments of my life. As a 17-year-old kid, God gave me this verse. I committed it to memory through the difficult moments of high school, of insecurity, of anger with family circumstances, of feeling like, like, like I don't belong anywhere, of, of, of having mates and then coming to faith and then feeling like I'm losing my mates here, but there are no other Christians around as well, and wondering what it looks like, feeling lonely and insecure was there that Christ gave personally to me this scripture, and it opened up my eyes to see a world greater than the temporary trials I was facing. The outer self that Paul is speaking about is, yes, it's how we can fall in jars of clay bodies as well, but it's also the temporary circumstances and struggles that you experience in life. He's saying all of these struggles and adversities, they have an expiry date. Every one of them has an expiry date because as history moves on and as Christ takes you forward, you are approach, you are approaching a trajectory, an irrevocable trajectory in Jesus of a resurrection renewed self in Christ. And it's as though Paul is saying, my weak and feeble body, don't, 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 don't define me by this thing. Actually, inside of me, Christ is doing a greater work which will be complete when he returns. And it's as if Paul is saying God is actually working through these troubles and hardships. Did you see the way, though our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us, these hardships you face. When you are faithful to Christ in the midst of these things, they are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them you see what Paul is saying? Somehow the hardship and faithfulness actually works to contribute and enhance something of what Jesus is doing. It's the most extraordinary thing that you would be able to contribute to a glorious eternal future because of the way in which you're enduring faithfully the hardships that you find yourself in right now. It's an extraordinary thing that God puts to us. And so application is we must land. They were living for the here and the now. They measured their life, their meaning, their success by outward appearances, by temporary comfort and by worldly success. Paul writes to, if you will, pull the curtain away to the eternal reality of life, to sober them. Paul wants to wake them up. He wants to open the curtains. He wants to let the light in the casino You know what I mean? Two things you'll never see in a casino, clocks and windows. Why? Because when you're there, they want you to forget about time that is passing by in the real world and suck you into that little moment and convince you that here in front of these flashing lights and sounds is all that is real. And Paul rips the windows open. He says, no, no, no. Live for something bigger than the here and the now. Let's land. Application. Have you been sucked into living for the, glo- for, for the glories of the temporary present? Or are you living for the glorious eternal future? Christ follower. Let's put it all together. Have you been conquered and sent out as a messenger? Who is the king of your life? And how are you proclaiming his message? Secondly, your body and my body is broken, it's imperfect, it's temporary, yet you carry within you, Christ's follower, the greatest treasure the world has ever known. In you, if every Christian in the world was suddenly eradicated from the planet, in you is all the DNA required to, to repeat the whole of Acts and the best part of church history. Do you know that? It's in you. That's what you carry in the gospel. Ultimately, all of our bodies will fail, but Jesus sustains us, and there is resurrection life to come. The secret to life is understanding you're already living in eternity. You're already living in eternity. Amen. Can we move to the communion table and we land in prayer there? Can I ask the band to come and lead us in song? Thanks so much, Rick. Thanks, Ty. and can we stand together I'm gonna to lead us in prayer and then we're gonna sing the song and can I invite you just to take communion while we sing in the beautiful song how deep the father's love for us Paul knew more than anyone the power of love to break in unsolicited undeserved yet also unlimited and unrestrained, breaking in to transform a life. It's this this bread, this grape juice that speak of Christ's unlimited, inexhaustible, selfless love for us. that in your hands you hold Jesus's own choice. He didn't um, choose the symbols of a great and mighty strong tower. It wasn't even a great house or kingdom or anything like that that he chose. It was this that we would remember in brokenness and weakness. But yet the power of God manifest. love of God poured out and shed abroad in our lives through Christ. Thank you, Jesus. I pray for each of us, Lord Jesus. I'm not sure which of those images resonated with you. Would you do business with Jesus as we stand in this place of communion? He is here. He is present. As real as these elements you hold in your hand, so is the presence of Christ this morning what's that one next step for you to take is it something to receive in Christ is it receiving the love of Christ afresh is it yielding and surrendering like Paul to the incredible love of God